Hello, everyone. I am Jackson. And as I said, we're going to try to do a walkthrough of this really weird, disparate, but in my opinion, very exciting uh, state of the Oscar race as it goes. Uh, it's going to be a lot of shop talk for um, people who aren't maybe uh, acclimated to how very confusing and odd the Oscar race as it was can be. It's going to be a lot of inside baseball, except we're both gay movie nerds who know nothing about baseball. Um, but I understand completely if that's not everyone's thing. And we're going to make this as beginner friendly as possible, but we're going to nerd out a lot too. So please bear with. Uh, Jackson, why don't you start us off by telling us, well, first my uh, new guest to the podcast questionnaire, which is uh, what got you into movies? What do you love about movies? And then why don't you catch us up on what happened at the Gotham Awards last week, our first big precursor? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the thing that just got me into movies was most likely Pixar, Disney Pixar. Mm -hmm. um, and just seeing like different worlds um, in that, um, like in that arena, um, I, I don't like, I don't really remember having like the, like the staples that a lot of kids had in terms of like, oh, I watched Jurassic Park with my parents or, oh, I watched like, oh, I don't know, like Pretty Woman with my parents or something like that. I mean, I was just like very focused on Disney and I just felt like the magic of animation was just something so so beautiful and just um it just encompassed everything I loved and um so I think just from that point on I was just kind of I was kind of sold on this path of just like seeing what people could do with movies and I think Pixar is that perfect example but I mean obviously as as all of us grow up I mean Pixar is still extremely relevant mm -hmm. but at the same time um i just uh, i found like movies as a true escape to um to escape the day from or to learn a little bit more into something um and especially like the the oscar race itself i i think is something that um is a very niche subject that people sort of like you and i love to discuss um but i think as a lot of people like look at their fantasy football leagues, I think people like you and I also are like looking at Oscar trackers and um, who's in the top 10 of this, uh, this contributors um, list this week. I, and so I think they're, I, I, I think it's a, just a very stimulating and, um, interesting conversation to have. And I, I think it sort of brings sort of my competitive side out, but mm -hmm. also my sort of creative and I just, I, all the juju just like flows into this time of year, especially as we sort of like get into, well, I mean, obviously it's not going to be in February this year and mm -hmm. it'll be in April, but I mean, having this prolonged season, especially during a pandemic is, um, is something I think that's um, kind of enjoyable for us, us movie nerds, as you would say. Mm -hmm. So um, it just it just provides another outlet instead of I don't know like I mean I'm not 
I'll watch the Super Bowl for the halftime show again, but I mean, that's <laughs> it. Um, but I mean, like the Gotham, yeah, no, sign me up. I'll watch some like, like YouTube channel, uh, live stream of actors accepting awards. I mean, I don't get why I love it. I just, I love it. So. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad that you, you know, kind of brought that up and asked that question. I think, cause people ask me that a lot of why do you care about the Oscars when you're also so critical of them and you're also so kind of wary of them. I think it's a weird intersection of, um, of talent and art and, this fun publicity machine, the, of course, undeniable uh, thrill of seeing people on a red carpet who you love. And then also there's just this rare moment like when lightning strikes, when someone who deserves acclaim gets the acclaim they deserve. Like the perfect example is Moonlight five years ago, if that number is correct. Anyway, of just that moment of, wow, the best movie that was made in the past year actually won the award for best picture and it doesn't happen every year it doesn't happen every three years it doesn't happen every 10 years really but like every once in a while a a really great performer a really great director or going way down the line like a composer who's been nominated a hundred times and never won wins something and finally gets that moment in the in the spotlight and there's just something so thrilling about it and if you love that moment why not invest in all the moments that lead up to it is kind of my thought process about it yeah no absolutely and i i mean i always i mean i think a perfect another perfect example of that is um parasite i mean especially that was last february um but i mean i feel like there is like a before parasite and after parasite like i i don't think i will ever be able to well I, I don't think I'll ever forget when uh, Spike Lee handed Bong Joon-ho his Oscar for Best Director because he just had so much like joy in giving it to him. And that, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just something like so thrilling. And then just like, as the night progressed and you're like, oh my God, like Best Picture is like right around the corner. And then Jane Fonda does this like <laughs> two second pause. and just, Incredible like, pause. Yeah, and she just stares out at the crowd like everyone knows what's going to happen and just says parasite. It's just that it like completely electrified a room. And I just remember like I was I was like sitting at my Oscar watch party and just like I couldn't believe that it had happened. I, I think that will always be such a monumental win for the Academy. I mean, yes, I, I completely agree that like the best movie in twenty sixteen was Moonlight. I, I don't think that there's any debate about that. But I mean yeah it is just like this one little spark of like joy that you get like once a year it's like christmas i mean and yeah it is like you're you're like oh you're getting little presents throughout the night it's like okay well let's um announce the supporting actress and to me i mean i i think like the supporting actor and actress nominees are just probably some of the best ones because you see uh these people that have worked um their entire lives i mean they're usually character actors and they're finally getting some sort of recognition. I mean, different individuals that have been working their ass off for their entire career, and it might actually be their year for it. So it's it's just really exciting. And um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, and, and this year especially, I mean, it's been going on for, I mean, at this point, it will have gone on for, I think, 14 months 
Yep. I mean, after this is all said and done. So 14 months of just like, like dueling it out, like who's going to make the final like 10 or nine or eight or whatever they decide to do this year. I mean, I think it'll still probably be 10, but um, I mean, it's just exciting. So um, I think, I, I, I don't think that there's any other word to describe it for me than just like pure bliss and pure excitement. Yeah, it is. It is the gay Super Bowl for about a million reasons, but I think that the purest distillation of it is again when talent meets hard work meets longevity, and it's just so. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. So um, on the long, long meandering road to the Oscars, we start with the Gotham Awards that happened last week as well as um, yeah. some of the major critics awards that have been uh, rolling out over the past month. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's interesting. It, I mean, usually that's in New York at a, a large dinner party um, followed by the awards ceremony. And this time it was all on a YouTube link provided by um, the Gotham Awards. So it was very interesting to sort of um, watch, but I think some of the, like, the key takeaways from that, I mean, Nomad Land winning best feature, I think, is a huge, huge um, uh, start to the race. Nomad Land winning best feature there, and then um, in subsequent um, like critics awards group, um, like I think that's only setting it up for a complete success this entire um, season. Um, and I, I think another big takeaway was the best actor going to Riz Ahmed. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, there's a, a, like the true, like uh, there's a truly great performance in what Riz Ahmed does on uh, in Sound of Metal, which if you haven't watched, it's on um, Amazon Prime. It came out in early December. So um if you haven't, go take a look because I mean, there are some just truly great performances in this movie. And um, I think it catapulted him into a nomination for the Oscars. And I'm gonna say that now. And I, I really do believe that. Um, he is just, he's completely immersing himself in this role. And I just, I, I really can't find any fault to his performance at the same time. Um, I mean, there's Chadwick Boseman who was in um, Bob Rainey's Black Bottom for his final performance and in The uh, uh, Five Bloods. And I think that is ultimately, I mean, I think it's ultimately his year to win, but I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't see a, like, I can't see a final five without Riz Ahmed in, in that. And I think um, another sort of like final key takeaway was Kingsley Benadir from uh, One Night in Miami and that his portrayal of Malcolm X is really something so different than what um, I think Denzel Washington did um, back, um, I think that was early 90s. Anyway, um, and I just think it's such a different um, performance and I think it's obviously, I mean, he won Breakthrough Actor. So, I mean, he's breaking through do I think that he gets a supporting actor nom? I don't know. I think there are only so many slots and I think everyone in that category or everyone in that movie is, in, is fighting for a supporting slot. Um, 
So it's going to be tough. I mean, it could be him um, or it could be Leslie Odom. I don't know. And so, but I just thought it was a, a very interesting standout. And I mean, it was obviously a surprise to everyone. I think the Child of Chicago 7 is also probably right up there in like the top top three, um, uh, like in the top three for the Best Picture um, nominees. Um, I mean, I, it's definitely a shoe in for me. Um, I don't see it being, I, I mean, I don't see any bad blood from anyone. I mean, it just, there's such a wide array of characters and um, so many strong performances. So, um, I mean, obviously people are loving it. Yeah, I think that you're right that it's, this has been a really interesting year in that the Oscars, because they delayed until April, and because they opened it up to you only had to have one week of theatrical run and then you could really just be released on any platform in, in wide release to be uh, a contender, that has inadvertently opened up a lot more uh, off the beaten path for the Oscars stuff than really ever before. Like. When you look at what traditional Oscar bait is, we have two things that are in contention for a best picture spot that would be considered traditional Oscar movies. And those are Mank and uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. And they're both really good movies. Like, I think that The Trial of the Chicago 7 has faded a bit for me, but I don't have any ill will towards it. I think it's a really solid movie. It unfortunately doesn't hold a candle to uh, the previous directorial effort from uh, Aaron Sorkin, which was Molly's Game, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I just kind of was bummed to see him take a really interesting story and a really great cast and not do that much interesting directing with it. But I still enjoyed it and it's a great story well told. But I love that the season just keeps spreading out and spreading out and we have all these room, all this room for black excellence for female excellence for uh south asian east asian excellence and we're really looking at a lineup unlike any other like the the major critics awards have all lined up behind nomadland which i've not yet been uh blessed to see but i know i'm gonna love it because it's francis mcdormand and it's a uh, kind of floating narrative about America and what it means to be a modern man. I don't know. I, I can't wait to see it. Just the trailer alone makes me cry. And that's won three major Best Picture Critics Awards and every major Best Director Award in sight for director Chloe Zhao. And uh, I love that our front runner is a movie that normally would be the thing that critics are on the sidelines being like, look at this movie. It's so good. And it's actually kind of stomping the art at the moment. I think we're in a really interesting year. Um, the question is, with the Gothams and with these other precursors, how much impact are they going to have? Because that's always the question, right? The critics tend to line up behind one or two movies uh, with the notable exception of the past couple of years. And um, it's really a crapshoot of whether the Oscars and other awards bodies listen to that. And I don't know, I think that because this race is so much longer and again, more spread out, it's, it is going to come down to how much screen time, for lack of a better word, you get, how many speeches you get to, to make, how many uh, awards you can list on your for your consideration ads. 
Like, I, I just think that this is a weird year where every single win is going to matter. So you mentioned Riz Ahmed and uh, Sound of Metal. So far, that is my favorite film of this award season. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I have a big crush on Riz Ahmed, both artistically and romantically. I love that guy. I think he's a great actor. And this was such a, a movie about disability starring an actor that does not have the disability is always going to be questionable, right? He just nails it because the movie isn't about someone going deaf. It's about someone struggling with addiction who also happens to go deaf. And he just crushes it. Paul, is it, do you know how to pronounce it? Is it Rachi Rossi? I think it's Racy. I Racy, could be okay. totally wrong. But I mean, yeah, no, I mean, you're about to say what I think. Um, or if this is what you're about to say, I mean, Paul Racy was like knockout. Like it was devastating. Knockout. It was an absolutely yeah. brilliant, devastating, complex performance, and it is the definition of what a great supporting performance is. Because it's not yeah. hammy, and it, and that's so much so often. The supporting awards tend to go to someone with one big scene or someone who is like, you know, Jack Nicholson collecting his second Oscar just because he showed up in a movie and was Jack Nicholson. And I say that as someone who loves Jack Nicholson, but uh, it is also the the thing that you alluded to earlier, which is that kind of dream of the Oscars, especially in the supporting categories, which is someone who's been keeping their head down and doing the work for decades. And then they, they get that one role that really shows what they can do and people sit up and take notice. I have to say, I think with the sort of like the Critics Awards and definitely the Gothams, um, I think Sound of Metal is poised for a much higher showing at the Oscars than what people might believe at this moment. Um, I would even argue that it could go for Best Picture. I think there is, um, I think there's that much love behind it. I think it's just, I mean, I think it's Amazon, I would say their strongest showing yet. To me, um, One Night in Miami didn't hit as hard as it did for others. Um, I know they had Borat too. I mean, that's not gonna be a best picture nominee, but I mean, there's talk about best supporting. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think what else, but they, oh, they have I'm Your Woman with the Rachel Brosnahan movie. I mean, that's not making much, much, uh, much leg work. So I really do think Amazon's time to capital, capitalize on what they have is with um, Sound of Metal. And I think whatever they need to do, I mean, just keep putting Riz Ahmed on. I mean, I think he was just on the Hollywood Reporter cover yep. the other day. So, that came out this I mean, week. I, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's doing exactly what he needs to do to be front and center of an already extremely tight race, I would say for best actor. Um, and, but I'm actually, I'm really not concerned about him because I just think that there's that much goodwill um, towards him. I mean, I remember when he was nominated um, and won the Emmy for the night of, and I think everyone was kind of like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Like, mm -hmm. where did he come from? So, I mean, I just think he's like an unstoppable force at this particular moment. Yeah. I, that movie just had such a profound impact on me. And it's that great thing when you like somebody and you're really hoping they have the chops and this is their first chance to deliver. And obviously he did deliver in the night of, but this was his first real leading feature that a lot of people had eyes on. And he just 
could not have done a better job. Like, I just think it's an incredible performance. I think the movie is incredible. Um, and like you said, I, I think that Amazon really needs to look at this Gotham's win and be like, okay, this is our moment to back a big play because best actor is tough this year, but I think he may have clinched a spot in that final five, which uh, mm-hmm. feels really good as a, as a fan of his and as a fan of the movie. Um, yeah. I think another sort of an interesting narrative that is playing out with the, the critics award is um, obviously Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. but also Delroy Lindo um, and the five bloods, which um, I think is, is very well deserved and sort of like Paul Racy. I mean, he's just having, um, I think all of his, all of this goodwill in Hollywood is finally coming um, to bear fruit. So I mean, that's another exciting one to watch. I mean, I, I think the, the, telling, uh, the telling factors for that will be how do the Globes and how do the SAGs, um, no, or, or will they nominate him ultimately at the end of the day? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I hope he gets one of the, the top five, but I mean, at the same time, there there's so many more performances that are coming out um, that we haven't seen yet that could totally come in at the last minute and swipe that position right from under him. So, yeah, I, I am very worried about it as well. I've not watched the five bloods yet. I'm literally going to do it tonight. It's in my outlook calendar. I'm ready to go. But um, I, uh, I love that guy. I mean, he's been in so much stuff. He is a regular on the good fight. He did an incredible uh, one episode, but it was like a full arc of uh, an episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I know it's ridiculous, but I really don't care. Um, and that is, again, the dream. That's like Paul Giamatti in Sideways, although that may be a bad example to invoke because he didn't actually end up getting the Oscar nom. He got everything else. But um of a great character actor who you you're like oh it's that guy and that's the classic phrase oh it's that guy and then they finally Mm -hmm. have their moment in the sun and i really want this to happen for him and there is room for it to happen to him he's he's gotten a number of of top tier critics awards and uh he's campaigning spike lee is campaigning and i really have high hopes but i feel like it would be so easy for him to get lost in the wash especially with with uh, recency bias. I mean, the the classic example is uh, American Hustle back in uh, 2013, 2014. Um, You know, American Hustle is a good movie, but it got more nominations than Gravity and 12 Years a Slave because it came out like three weeks before Oscar voting started. And I think that it's so easy for the new fresh thing to wipe out quote unquote weaker uh, options. So I, I, I am a little nervous, but you did mention, and I want to go into the the Globes and the SAGs. So there are three listeners, there are three big televised precursors. There's the Golden Globes, there's the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and there's the uh, Broadcast Film Critics Association or the Critics' Choice. They all have a weird mentality behind them. The Critics' Choice tends to do what they think the Oscars will do because they are the earliest and they want to be like oh, look, we crowned the winner first. The Globes, there's no telling what they will do. Um, they have so many disparate categories. 
they're kind of bizarre. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association is the one who votes on them, and we don't know who is in that. It's a bunch of foreign journalists who really just want to be in a room getting drunk with celebrities, hence the uh, famous nominations of Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie for The Tourist a few I guess a decade, I was going to say a few years ago, but it's like a decade and a half ago. Anyway, and then the Screen Actors Guild Award, which tends to be the the real guiding light for Academy voters because the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is divided into branches. The largest branch by far is actors. So therefore, the Screen Actors Guild Award uh, tends to predict a lot of times, although less so in the quote unquote new Academy of the past few years, uh, what's going to win uh, the Oscar in, a, in some of the top tier categories. So let's start with the Globes. Um, one of the big things that the Globes has going for it is they have a separation between drama and comedy. But this year that arguably means less than it has in the past few years because uh, almost all of the top tier acting and picture contenders are going in drama and there's nothing going in the comedy slash musical. But that has me worried because Meryl Streep is involved this year. She was in The Prom. She's one of the leads of The Prom. She'll probably win a Golden Globe for The Prom just by default. And that will, that worries me that it will lead her to take up a spot. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the Globes this year? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And just a small plug. Um, if people are wanting to watch a Meryl Streep movie um, that like that came out this year, um, one that is completely underappreciated is Let Them All Talk. Yes, it's so good. It was fabulous. And I, I'm really, like, I could see, if they put that in, I don't know if they're doing drama or comedy for that, but if they put it in comedy, like, I could see nominee, like, nominations for Meryl, for Candace, and Diane. Like, Yeah, I, I think Candace Bergen like, is remarkable in that movie, and I would love for her to be getting more traction than she is. Yeah. Yeah, and so I don't know. I don't know the the categories that they're putting them in, but oh my god, if we're like if we're looking at tr like a, a true like Meryl Streep, like this was like uh, God. I just I remember watching this movie, and I could like I did not want it to end. Like I just wanted to follow these these um, women as they continued on with their journey. Um, and I mean, Lucas Hedges was in it, which I mean, who doesn't love Lucas Hedges? And then and he's Jenna he's K a great boon for uh, Screen Actors Guild Best Ensemble nominees and Best Picture nominees of the mm -hmm. movies he's made in the past five years. Like sixty percent of them, I'm making that statistic up, but it really is a remarkable amount have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I was looking at Gold Derby a little bit earlier, um, and for. For any listener that just loves loves weird tables and loves comparing what other editors and um, pundits um, what they're watching and who they think are um, wanting to uh, sort of like rank, they're saying right now. Um, uh, well, at least I'm looking at a few of them, and I mean they have Maria Bakalova from Borat. Oh, is she lead at the Globes? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. that that makes me happy because I don't want Meryl to win her. I think this would be her tenth Globe just for a for a movie that no one likes, just because there was nothing else up. You know what I mean? But I will actually argue I did like the prom. 
For okay. all its faults, I think I just it was nice to see a musical. And I know I'm going to get slashed for saying that because it really isn't that good. But mm. just for like pure escapism and for people who just love Broadway and who love theater, I know that there are plenty of other like like movies that were or plays that were then turned into movies this year. I mean, the perfect example is um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or The Father. I mean, of course you can go find like your theater in those, but I mean, just to see a musical and even if it's like high school musical level, like I don't really even care. It was just, it was so quirky and weird. And yes, you're right. James Corden should not have been in that at all. I mean, I think that was really, I mean, that was just, pitiful pitiful casting and I don't really know how that got through um I can't think of anything that James Corden has been in that was produced or directed by Ryan Murphy so I don't know what actually caused them to be like oh yes let's put James Corden as the like the flamboyant gay uh struggling actor like I don't know what was going across their mind and I mean if that even gets a nomination at the Globes I mean I mean there's a lot to I mean people always get pissed at the Globes what I mean that's probably like it, it's just it's just such weird category fraud and such weird um such weird nominations like especially in the TV um categories you just find the most random selections and they but always they pick the thing that uh that spent the most money and that came out the most recently so i don't think that like i don't think nicole Kidman will have any sort of like like globe or sag <laughs> okay. Okay. um but i mean who i mean for the undoing who knows i mean yeah that's that i was a big fan of that um i yeah, think it was no, a bit I messy but i i loved watching that show yeah, I mean, she could get nominated for that, but for the prom, absolutely not. Okay. Um, so I, I, I would not be worried about Nicole Kimmon making her like prom, <laughs> her prom <laughs> debut um, at the Globes. Uh, the last question I have for you about the Globes is, uh... I mean, she is, she is truly telling another American story, and um, it's just, it's a little bit different, and. Um, I, I, I just, I really think it's exciting that the Academy this year might have that. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like what my top five best directors would be, but I mean, it's refreshing not to have the same white male, like top five every year. It's just, it's refreshing. It, it, it makes you think that like, people are actually watching movies because I mean, if all you're like voting for and choosing to win is some white male doing like some horrendous biopic or um, some action movie or like, and nothing against like Sam Mendes and 1917 and uh, like anyone like that. Like, I mean, that was a great film, but it's just like, we've got to move past this like idea of um, of what the what the movie industry um, considers like a great film because there are so many great films that are are so often overlooked in Hollywood and at the Oscars I mean and I just 
I think this year is a true turning point in, in, in Hollywood and what, what is successful because now the like box office totals do not matter. Right. They couldn't be less relevant. Yeah. Streaming numbers do not matter. And I mean, there's no, there's no real way to calculate streaming numbers. (laughs) It's truly about what people love to watch. And I think it's going to be a truly interesting year to see what is the top winner, because I think like last year, I think it will actually go to the one that actually deserves it. Yeah. I mean, this is reductive, but if the choices we have in the best picture of the year are Nomadland and Minari, I feel like we've already won in a way. Like we, there is a chance to take this incredibly traumatic worldwide event that is the pandemic and out of it say, look, we don't need studio budgets or more importantly, we don't need incredibly narrow casted, narrowly thought out uh, films to drive the awards and more importantly, the narrative of film quality anymore. Like, again, we have maybe two, two, maybe three, if you really wanted to loop in The Father. I have not seen it, but I've heard nothing but good things. But either way, like the the tra- quote unquote traditional Oscar bait kind of movies. And we have this great chance to look at, to kind of zoom out a bit and look at the narrative of filmmaking in 2021 as a whole and say, look, we've got these new entries from, uh, previously lauded masters like Spike Lee. We've got new up-and-comers like Chloe Zhao. We've got actors turned directors like Regina King. We've got so many interesting directions to go in. And I feel like even though the Oscars have a propensity to every Parasite win, there tends to be two green books, you know? Like mm-hmm. we still, we. I feel like the odds are so much more in the favor of picking something good and I'm really excited about it. And uh, I honestly think that the, the controversy at the Globes for Minari is great for it because Minari isn't streaming yet. I think they just announced today that it's going to be streaming um, at the end of February for uh, large audiences. And I think that that puts a big spotlight on it of them saying, look, the Globes screwed us, but now you've heard the name Minari and uh, check us out. And that's got to help them in the biggest, uh, according to previous, um, Again, this is kind of pre-New Academy, and that's a whole different discussion, but one of the most important precursors for Best Picture is the coveted Best Ensemble Trophy at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And I think that this puts Minari in a really great position to say, look, the Globe screwed us, but SAGs don't do it. Uh, Check out how great we are. And Parasite won this last year, so they are clearly open to nominating and voting for stuff off the beaten path of what the Oscars consider an you know, a best ensemble, which normally would have George Clooney in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there, I'm, there's an, I, I, I look at some of the ensembles this year and it, it is really hard to like say that this was a, a year where there were bad ensembles, like yeah. there weren't. The Trial of the Chicago 7, mm-hmm. fantastic ensemble. Yeah, great Ma ensemble. Rainey's Black Bottom, great ensemble. One Night in Miami, great ensemble. Promising Young Woman, fucking phenomenal yep. ensemble. 
there's such a plethora of like great ensemble work this year. And I think that's just, I mean, I think that's really refreshing to see because for so, for so long and so often, we just see these movies that are about one to two people and it's really only revolving around them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this year, I really do feel like the, the movies that are presented to us are about like the picture as a whole and the cast as a whole. And I think that also has to do with the, like the crews of these. I mean, even though they aren't mentioned in like the ensemble of these work, um, like at the SAGs, I mean, they are true ensembles at the end of the day. And so uh, I, I think we're, we're in for an exciting, a, definitely an exciting SAG awards. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant about the Golden Globes just from the comedy perspective. Um, but I mean, I think we have a really, really great opportunity to see some great awards getting delivered this year for people who really deserve it. And I think that what's interesting about this year is because of the ubiquity of streaming now more than ever, like we have almost the same experience as the awards voters will have this year in that everybody's just waiting for the thing to be streaming on their uh, internet connected TV. And so then once Sound of Metal is free, you watch it. Once uh, Promising Young Woman is rentable, you watch it, whatever it is. And I, uh, I just feel like that puts so many things in contention for so much longer than they normally would be. Normally you would get your release weekend and people would go see it. And then maybe if you're lucky, once nominations came out, Academy voters would go to a screening of your movie. But now it's just like, you know, we've got a pile of metaphorical screeners in our Netflix and Amazon and Hulu queues. And we just kind of watch whatever we feel like. And it's easy to reach out and grab the thing that you loved or that you think deserved more attention or a second viewing again. And mm-hmm. so if we just burn through quickly, so we have two front runners for best ensemble uh, that are in a way traditional best ensemble picks. Um, Trial of the Chicago 7, which is a great ensemble full of great actors and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is slightly smaller, but the play turned movie tends to do really well there. I can't think of any high profile plays turned movie that didn't get nominated for that award. Uh, like Doubt is the first one that comes to mind, but I mean, that had four people in its SAG ensemble and it got nominated. Um, and then if we expand a little, we have Minari, we have Promising Young Woman, we have um, One Night in Miami, another play turned movie. I I think that that's a more wide open race once we get the five nominees, but uh, I don't know. What do you think is going to end up there? As the winner? as the five nominees and then we can also try to pick winners if we want to oh gosh i mean i'm i'm definitely all in on child of the chicago seven mm-hmm. um i think promising young woman is only going to grow in strength as the as the weeks and the months go by so i think that's in um one one night in miami i think has so much good, um, uh, so much good buzz around it. Even though I didn't find it as um, 
as great as everyone else did. Um, I'm just one person and I do not vote in the SAG, so my opinion does not matter to them. Um, I think, I mean, the five bloods wouldn't be bad to see in there. Yeah, I think that's um, a real possibility. And I, I like the idea of Minari. Um, so, I mean, the only one that's kind of like on the edge would maybe be Nomadland, but I, I can see that getting around Best Ensemble and still potentially winning Best Picture at um, at the Oscars, even though I know it's almost virtually impossible to do that. Um, but who knows? I mean, they keep getting such great love. So, and Shape of um, Water didn't have an didn't even have an ensemble nom and it won best picture so it is more possible yeah. in the past few years than it's ever been before it used to definitely yeah. be a requirement um but, but i think between but if the I were to, oh go ahead oh sorry i was no, just gonna fine. say but in in terms of like who i think would win um like i mean my heart would say give it to promising young woman because i just think it's just such like what they did with so many people that are so loved by the like by the industry I find it hard to like not just want to give it to them um but ultimately I think it will probably go to the trial of Chicago 7 at the end of the day which I'm not upset about because I still think it's a great cast um I I wouldn't be mad with any of these people getting it or any of these ensembles getting it I think there's more actors actors in there than yeah. than the other movies and so i think that'll sort of propel it over that's just my guess um we'll have to see how it tracks um i mean who knows people might people not might not put it in anything um i mean it would be sad to see but um yeah i i think you're completely right and in both the things that you picked and the reasons you picked them like the uh the casting of Promising Young Woman is so incredibly intelligent and, art, art, excuse me, artful. Like, it's uh, it's just miraculous what they came up with and how they executed it. Because the choices of these people are so deliberate. This mix of comedians and real heavyweight dramatic actors. Uh, and then the genius of Connie Britton that just kind of threads that perfectly. <laughs> she walks that middle line. And then Connie Britton can yes. do no wrong. Yeah, she's I genius. Will. Uh, and then Chicago 7 is the more traditional interpretation of the best ensemble, which is uh, like, let's, I think it would probably be nine in the uh, official breakdown. But anyway, like nine really good actors doing really good acting. Like I, mm -hmm. I loved the majority of those performances, especially Mark Rylance, who could be a bit showy for me. I thought he was great. I thought Michael Keaton did an incredible amount of heavy lifting in the small amount of time he was on screen. Yaya Abdul-Mateen was great. Like it's, it, it's just a great cast. And then we are missing Franklin Jella, which yes. I, yeah. I mean, as bad as it is to say he was probably my favorite part of the movie, he was definitely my favorite part of the movie. And maybe that's just because like the Americans just put him <laughs> at a whole new level for me. Yeah. But I just, I, uh, well, I, and he turned man. it, he took what could have been a cartoon and he made it a really, it fit in the world. And it, yeah, was, and it was, I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was searing, honestly, it was searing watching him do what he did. Yeah. He was great. Um, 
But anyway, uh, sorry, I interrupted. No, you're fine. And then again, to to invoke the kind of play turned movie thing, we have three. We've got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We've got One Night in Miami, and we've got The Father. Although The Father may be, you know, too much of a two hander for SAG, they've traditionally rejected that for ensemble. But I mean, what those have to do is uh, use the cast to build a living, breathing play-like space for the viewer, and then also just have a ton of chemistry. And I think that while Ma Rainey felt a bit incomplete and One Night in Miami felt way too long for me, both of those, I mean, um, they I can't deny that they both had incredible chemistry and incredible performances that the cast members pulled out of each other. And the shared spaces that they created as actors were really remarkable. Yeah. So I don't think we have any I, losers in this category. Oh yeah, no. But just to quickly, I, I haven't given an assessment on Ma Rainey's and, um, I do like that movie. Um, I do not like what they did with the production of it. I think the production design looked cheap. And um, I think that definitely diminished some of what could have been like truly phenomenal performances into great performances. I mean, I, where they where they decided to put the locker room at the bottom of the um, in the bottom of the basement. I just think it was such poor lighting and poor choices and um, in in shooting um, that I mean I think it could have been something so much more. It just felt it felt so much more like a play to me than Fences did, and Fences yeah. was like that felt very much like a play. And it's disappointing because, um, I mean, I love the individual performances in it, but it just, it dampens it when um, you try to conform a little too much to, to, the, to the play, like the play of it all. I mean, who knows? I mean, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman are obvious front runners in their categories too. Um, so, I mean, who knows? I mean, they could get all the love and, and win the award um, for Best Ensemble. But, I mean, it's just, for me, it would do a, a disservice to the other, like, truly fantastic ensembles that were out there this year. Yeah, I think, I think there's a really great piece to be written this year by someone who understands uh, the nuances better, certainly, than I, about what you should, shouldn't, can and can't do when you adapt a play into a movie. Um, and I would love to read that because I think it's never been more relevant, again, because there's so many plays into movies, but also um, because they've all been interestingly executed. I, I have very mixed feelings about Ma Rainey as well. I think that if the movie was 15 minutes longer, Viola Davis would be accepting her second Oscar. Like, I think that she could write the speech now mm -hmm. because it is yeah. some of the best work she's ever done, but it feels incomplete. And I think that's because the text is a bit shorter. I mean, the movie's not even 90 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, well, she's also sitting in the corner the entire time. Yeah, pouting. And, and she, <laughs> I, someone wrote, like, a great article that um, the, and I might butcher this, but it's like the actor does not like Viola Davis does not or did not get the Ma Rainey that she deserved like Ma Rainey was such a like 
is such a dynamic figure and such a dynamic character. And you really just don't get to explore that with her. You really just get a very like brief introduction to her and a very brief like outro with her. And then everything in between is basically what you're like building these assumptions on. And it's just, it's disappointing to me because like you said, if it had been 15 minutes longer, maybe even 30 minutes longer, I don't think people would have cared. I just think it, it would have allowed for more of a story. I mean, it's really hard to toe the line. And I think it also does that with One Night in Miami. I, I mean, I would have loved to see that in like in an actual theater setting. I think it would have yeah. done much better. Um, it felt like it deserved to be just these four men in one room for an hour and a half, just duking it out and compromising and talking. And that, that would have been much more thrilling to me. But I mean, we're given, I mean, we're given these things and we should cherish it because I mean, we aren't going to be able to see live theater for, live <laughs> for a long time yeah. for quite some time. So I, I, I can't like bitch and moan too much. So um, it's just, I think we, like you said, I think we have to find that, that, that right middle ground in terms of like, well, let's, let's not stray too far from the, um, from the material, but how can we advance it? And that's really hard. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they've been adapting plays into movies for as long as there have been movies, and they've never solved this problem. But I think Invoking Fences is correct, not just because it starred Viola Davis and it um, was an August Wilson play, but I think it's a really interesting connecting point between the issues with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and the issues with One Night in Miami, in that I think... uh, One Night in Miami would have benefited from not being Regina King's first feature because I think she was too conservative with uh, the departures from the limited spaces that a play would offer you. You know, it feels very much like there are artificial constraints keeping these four guys in the same room. And then with Ma Rainey, it was directed by a theater director who was making, uh, I don't think it's his first feature, but you know he is not a feature film director. He is a predominantly known for being a theater director, and I think that Fences is you know August Wilson's biggest play, directed by one of the biggest film stars of all time, and starring one of the biggest film stars of all time in Denzel Washington. And I think he's so he was so comfortable with the language of film, but also so comfortable with the legacy and the intentions of August Wilson, that he was able to make all of these different elements work together really well and kind of create the perfect mix between a film and a movie or a film and a play. And uh, neither of those movies from this year, uh, Ma Rainey or One Night in Miami really got that for me. But again, they're worth watching and they're both free now. Yeah, It's hard to pass up on the narrative of, Regina King's first feature or Chadwick Boseman's last film. Like, yeah. It's hard. So, um, I mean, I would watch it even if they were like 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, even though Same. they are, they are not. So, um, it, it, it is, it is interesting to see. And I mean, who knows how it'll evolve. And I mean, the next 
the next few years as theater becomes truly limited. Yeah, I had this, uh, this is a bit of a tangent. It may not make the final cut, we'll see. But um, in 2015, I saw um, Jillian Anderson and Vanessa Kirby in uh, Streetcar Named Desire in uh, Brooklyn. And it was the best oh, wow. piece of theater I've ever seen. And I loved it so much. And I still talk about it all the time. I'm talking about it right now. And then as a fundraiser for the Old Vic Theater, uh, based in London in May of la uh, May of 2020, they had a free YouTube thing where you could watch the full production on YouTube for uh, 24 hours. They had just you know had a filmed archived version of it or whatever, and uh, I watched it, and it was the strangest thing to see a filmed production of a production that I saw in person five years after I saw it, stuck in my house in my pajamas in the heat of the pandemic. And I just love this idea that you've you've been hinting at, and I think we've both been dancing around of like the walls between theater and film and between film and television, obviously, are thinner than they have ever been. Those barriers are so artificial to begin with. And I, I kind of love this idea of what is uh, the future of theater going to be? What is the future of film as it relates to theater and to acting and to exhibition going to be? Um, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's a really exciting time to be a fan of any and or all of those things. Yeah, I mean, look at Hamilton. I yep. mean, they're gonna be up for awards um, in, the, in the coming months. I mean, they aren't gonna be up for an Oscar, but I mean, they're, I think they're up for uh, uh, for Golden Globes and yeah, Critics you're right. So, um, I it'll be it'll be interesting. And I mean, I think every I think it'll all be like the, this pandemic will probably shape the way that um, that movies are are forever seen. I mean, I I sound like a like a broken record saying that because I think everyone is already already saying that in their own world. Um, but I mean, it, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to go back and hard to imagine how, how we, how we regain what, what one year ago looks like. And I feel like be. as people who both love the, the Oscars and awards, it is exciting much more than anxiety producing to imagine the way that that distribution of uh, awards worthy content and uh, of, of course, award shows themselves will be like. Like, I think it's an yeah. exciting thing. I think it's a good thing to to yeah. shake it up. I'm, I mean, I think maybe this uh, to wrap this up. I mean, like Cynthia Revo could perform, or she could uh, reprise her role from The Color Purple, which she won her um, her Emmy, her Grammy and um her tony for and yeah. i mean just from one role she could she could get egot so yeah um, and the same thing with uh with glenn close for uh the inevitable filmed production of sunset boulevard the musical which of course is an adaptation of sunset boulevard the film which is so uroboros i can't even handle it but if it resulted in glenn close winning an oscar finally i would uh, i'd be here for it yeah, I mean, hey, why not? I mean, I, I honestly, if we put Hamilton on the like in the Oscar t contention, give Leslie Odom Jr. a supporting actor award 
for his performance in Hamilton. Like I would not have one disagreement with that whatsoever. And I think a lot of people would probably agree. So yeah. um, the, we are truly blending, blending lines um, in, the, in, the coming, in the coming years, I think. So wrapping up, um, if we just take a, take a second and zoom out a bit to the race as a whole, what are the movies that, uh, that you would say our dear listeners who want to follow this, um, this whole season, which again is going to last for three more months, which is crazy, um, would really want to single out to watch for best picture preparation? I mean, if people are wanting to watch things that um, I think will make it in the final 10, I mean, I think, and that are available today, I mean, go watch Promising Young Woman. I think there's a narrative for Carrie Mulligan. Um, I would say, um, go watch Child of Chicago 7. It's on Netflix. Um, I think it, it could definitely be like, and especially with the, like the, the way the Oscar ballot works, I think it could definitely be something that, um, uh, that could win. Um, and especially in the time period that we're living. Um, I'm trying uh, I enjoyed Mank. Um, it's a little bit film nerdy, which I think <laughs> if anyone's listening to this right now, they'll enjoy. So, I mean, go watch Mank. I mean, I'm trying to think Sound of Metal, of course. I think Sound of Metal is going to make a, a huge splash. Um, so, I mean, I think I, there's so much content to watch and I think it's so readily available to listeners. I mean, it's just like, just go, just go and look and find something that really, that, that you'll be interested in. I don't, I don't think that there's like truly a path where you could go wrong. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, we mentioned this earlier, but if any of this, if you want to go from the level of, oh, I watched the Oscars and maybe one or two of the other things too. Oh, I just want to get a bit of the pulse of this whole race. Check out that website, goldderby.com. Uh, Jackson and I both use it to organize predictions, to you know, collate interviews, to see what professional Oscar prognosticators are saying and thinking and writing and doing. Um, it's a great site. It's a really fun interface, and it can help you keep track of what you may want to watch. I would also say if you know you hear the name of something and you think, "Oh, that sounds interesting," but I can't remember where uh, they said I can see this. There's a great website called JustWatch.com. And all you do is go to Just Watch, and then you type in the name of a movie, and it tells you where it's streaming. If you have to pay for it, it tells you how much it is streaming for, um, and it's incredibly handy. Jackson, thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. I don't know how intelligible this was to anyone but us, but I really, really loved uh, getting into the nitty-gritty of this 14-month Oscar season. Yes, no, same here. Thank you for having me. And yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, sorry for the long hiatus. I really hope you enjoyed this. And I want to take the opportunity to tease something a bit exciting. Uh, Jackson and I are actually working on an ongoing project that you will hear a bit about, uh, you'll hear a bit more about in the future. Um, we're not sure what it's gonna look like. We're not sure what, it's, what all it's going to consist of. We're not even 100% sure what it's going to be called, but yeah, just uh, stay tuned for more info. 
Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Lee underscore H underscore Henry, where I tweet about Glenn Close and sometimes other things. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Have You Seen Podcast. And yeah, thanks so much. <laughs>